Happy Palm Sunday, church. Today is the day where we celebrate and remember our Savior who arrived into Jerusalem the very week when he was going to be betrayed, abandoned by his friends, imprisoned, falsely accused, beaten, crucified, and buried. And as he entered into Jerusalem on this week, the fateful week of his passion, of his suffering, he arrived in a very unexpected way. He arrived on a donkey. And as he makes his way into Jerusalem, the disciples are with him and the crowd is gathered around him, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, waving palm fronds, laying them down before him. The crowd is literally saying, save us, save us, rescue us. You see, there's an expectation and an anticipation to see what Jesus was going to do on this Passover week. The King who has come. Save us, rescue us. But He came in a very unexpected way. His entrance was peculiar. He didn't arrive like a normal king. He didn't ride in on a stallion. It wasn't a lot of fanfare. It was Jesus on a donkey with very little preparation. And the crowd quickly assembled, laying down palm fronds and shouting. And then as they would witness, just five days as we will celebrate on Good Friday, Jesus, His ending was very unexpected too. It was not what they would imagine would happen to the king. And not only unexpected, but disappointing. You see, how you start something, how you begin something matters. But it is much more important how you close, how you finish. We even have sayings around this. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. See, a good closing is important. A good closing is important. And we know this. We, we tell people, just finish strong. Finish strong. We have graduations to celebrate all the hard work and schooling. So it's a good closing. We have New Year's parties to close out a year and look ahead to a new one. We love authors that write powerful and compelling closings to their stories. I know some people, Pastor Felipe, who watches the end of a series or a show or reads the last chapter of the book just to see if it's a good closing, to see if it's worth to read the whole thing or watch the whole show. A good closing is important. If you've ever bought something from Ikea, you know it's not how you start. It's whether you actually finish with that little silver Allen wrench screwing in all those screws. That last screw, it is a good closing when the furniture is finally built. And if you know me, you know that I am a huge fan of Christopher Nolan. I love his films. And one of my favorite films that he has made is Inception, which I believe has one of the greatest closings in any movie. And this is kind of a spoiler, so if you haven't seen the movie yet, I mean, you should. It's really old. But the, the movie ends with the protagonist, the main character, coming to see his children. And he spins the top on the table because, as you see in the film, when the top stops spinning, you know that you're based in reality. You're not in a dream state. So he spins the top to make sure that he's actually in, the real, in reality. 
But then he sees his kids and he runs off to his kids and it pans right back to the top that is spinning and it looks like it kind of wobbles, like it's going to stop. But then the movie ends. And so you're left with, what, are, are, is he still in a dream? Is, is he in reality? It is a good closing because it's full of mystery and questions. And I have debated many people on what I think is the right answer. Message me if you want to have a little debate on the ending of Inception. You see, tonight we are in the closing of the Lord's Prayer. And it is a good closing. Now, it is not like Inception where it leaves anything to question. There's no mystery. In fact, it's very clear and very direct, but it's really good. The closing to the Lord's Prayer says this, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. As we have prayed all of these things throughout the Lord's Prayer, we close by saying, for yours, God, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now, what's really interesting about the closing to the Lord's Prayer, one that maybe you have prayed hundreds or thousands of times, and you have prayed that closing, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. If you look in your Bible, if you have your physical Bible with you, and you look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, you may notice that that closing is actually not in your Bible. Many translations don't have this verse. Or it's there, but it's bracketed or in italics. Or it's in the footnote of the Bible at the very bottom. Now, the reason that that's the case is because this verse, the kind of second half of Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, is not in the earliest Greek manuscripts of the Bible. And so many translations either leave it out or they notate that it is a later edition. Scholars believe that it was added just a short time after the Greek manuscript was kind of compiled. And so you, you read that and you think to yourself, first, why are we preaching on this? Why do we have that as a closing to the Lord's Prayer? Which I'll get to in a moment, but I just want to say this. How amazing is that? I love the fact that when I read my Bible, the translations that I typically read, that closing to the Lord's Prayer is bracketed. It's notated in the footnotes as an addition, probably a little bit later, to the time when Scripture was canonized. Here's why I love that. Because you cannot have more of an orthodox statement then for yours, God, is the kingdom, is the power, and is the glory forever. I mean, that statement, that verse, is backed up by the whole counsel of Scripture. It is backed up by this very prayer. Jesus certainly says these things in his life, that God's kingdom is his kingdom, that God is the one who is all-powerful, that is about God's glory. You see, this is such an orthodox statement, and yet the scribal tradition around the Word of God was so strict that they notated that this was a slight addition later, that it may not have been written by the original author, who was Matthew. Here's why that's so unbelievable and should be so encouraging to you. 
Because you can know that what you are reading 2,000 years later in the New Testament and thousands of, year later, thousands of years later in the Old Testament is in fact the Word of God. That it has been translated hundreds of times to different languages. It has traveled all over the world, but yet it has not been manipulated for political power or for personal gain. It has not been altered in these substantial ways that critics and people want to share. In fact, the, quite the opposite. It is so strict. It is so true to the original writings and manuscripts that something as orthodox as your kingdom, or for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory is notated as a slight addition later. That is so encouraging. You're reading the very Word of God that He inspired in those authors that wrote this whole book, which we believe is infallible and incapable of error. It is in fact God's Word and powerful for us and true. So you may be saying, okay, I see all that. So why are you preaching a sermon and why are we actually closing the Lord's Prayer with something that was added a little bit later where there's some question to it? Well, for two reasons. One, because this is a very orthodox statement. It's backed up by the prayer. It's backed up by countless scripture. In fact, we read this very statement by King David himself with a little bit of a difference. Most scholars believe that this was added as a... As a kind of response or influenced by what King David says in First Chronicles when he is stepping out of leadership and he's inviting and anointing his son Solomon to be the king and he prays over him and over the nation, over the people of God and he prays this prayer. He says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory. Sounds familiar, right? See, we, we see this as the closing to the Lord's Prayer because it is orthodox. It is supported by Scripture. See it in the words of King David. But secondly, because this is the ultimate confession of our faith. See, this is the confession of our faith. That yours is the kingdom, God. Not mine. Yours is the power of God. Not mine. And yours is the glory, not mine, forever. Not just now, but forever. You see, when we close the Lord's Prayer with this statement, we are closing and confessing that we have total reliance on God. That we must rely totally on God because it's not about our kingdom. We don't have a kingdom. We may try to manufacture our own personal kingdoms, but we don't have one. It's not about our power. We may believe ourselves to have power, but not really. The power is God's. And we try sometimes to, to gain our own glory and recognition and honor, but really that's fleeting and so minimal compared to the glory of God. It is reminding us of the ultimate confession of our faith that we have to totally rely on God. We must totally rely on Him. It is as if you are praying, God, everything I just prayed is all on you. Everything I just prayed is all on you. The kingdom, 
your kingdom coming to earth, God, that's on you. The fulfilling of the needs that I have and the provision that I seek and the fulfillment of my hopes and dreams, that's on you. The forgiveness of my sin, that's on you. The strength to resist the temptation of the evil one, that's on you, God. It is all on you. It is all about you. I am totally relying on you because it's your kingdom, it's your power, and it's your glory. You see, when we pray to God, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, it is not some attempt to coerce some type of blessing out of God. No. It is, it is reliance and deep confidence rooted in the character of God. God, this is who you are. It's all on you. And we rely totally on you. The, the prophet Habakkuk, he shows us and reveals to us this type of confidence that we are to have. Confidence in the character of God. The confidence that we are to have when we pray despite the circumstances that we're in. Because it is God's kingdom. He is the all-powerful one. And he is the one deserving of all glory. It's all his forever. And so we are to pray with confidence despite the season and situation we find ourselves in. Here's what the prophet Habakkuk says in chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. He's saying, even if nothing is going my way, nothing is happening that is productive and helpful, even if it feels like everything is hopeless, everything is being taken away, nothing is flourishing, it feels like it's all darkness, the circumstances are stacked against me, even if those things are taking place, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Regardless of the situation I find myself in, I will rejoice. I will draw near with confidence. I will pray with confidence. And he says, I will take joy. I love that. I will take joy. Not because some internal strength. Not because I, I've told myself all these po positive affirmations. No, I will take joy because it is rooted in the God of my salvation, in the character of God. It's his kingdom, it's his power, it's his glory, and that is going to give me deep confidence. It's going to root me in the character and nature of God so that despite the circumstances around me, I can take joy. It's almost as if you are saying this when you close the prayer with this verse. You're saying, God, because all these things are yours, I'm going to take joy today. Because it's rooted in you. No matter what happens today, I'm going to take joy in you and your character and who you are. That is so encouraging. Because listen, we sometimes try to take joy through some internal strength or by adding some disciplines to our life or by telling ourselves positive affirmations about ourselves or situations or we try to look at something differently. And that's going to fade. 
that's going to fade. It, no, no amount of positive affirmations and internal strength can, can prepare you for certain things that will happen in your life. No amount of it will prepare you for that work situation that you walk into that you didn't know you were going to step into. It's not going to prepare you for that email that you read that was really hurtful and terrifying. It's not going to prepare you for that fight you had with a loved one, with a friend, or with a coworker. It's not going to prepare you for that unexpected bill that comes. But you know what will? Taking joy in the character of God and who He is, the God of your salvation, the Father of mercy. The Father of mercy. I love what Lamentations says. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 through 23 says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. They are new every morning. Listen, when you pray to God, your Father, you're asking Him to bring the kingdom here. You're asking for the needs and the provisions that you seek. You're asking for forgiveness of sin, for strength to resist temptation. And you close it by saying, because God, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. You are rooting yourself in the character of God so that you can take joy, reminding yourself that God's mercies are new every morning. He is a father who is faithful to you. He has not let go of the driving wheel or the wheel of your life. He is still driving you to the destination he has promised will be good for you. He has not stopped building in your life regardless of the situations. So you can actually pray like Habakkuk who said, listen, God, even if everything looks like it's not going my way, nothing is being produced that is favorable for me, I will still take joy because you're the God of my salvation. So you take joy, church, when you pray. And how do you take joy? It's really simple. You remember that it's God's kingdom, it's his power, and it's his glory. You remember. It's why we close the Lord's Prayer this way. So that we might remember, which would enable us to take joy. First, he says, yours is the kingdom. Okay, yours is the kingdom. That means that the kingdom of God is not an earthly nation. The kingdom of God is not a denomination. The kingdom of God wasn't Rome or Greece or Persia or England or America. The kingdom of God is not found by any particular people that want to craft it in a way that fits their fancy. And the kingdom of God is his. He's the one building it. He is the one that invites us to be a part of it and participate in it. It's not our kingdom. We're invited into his kingdom for yours is the kingdom. Not mine, not yours. Jesus speaks a lot about the kingdom of God. He says a lot of things about it. He says the kingdom of God is of great value. It is a great treasure. He says the kingdom of God is growing in unexpected ways. He says the kingdom of God is at hand as God is building his kingdom and bringing it here on earth. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is characterized by love. And I love what Jesus says 
in Matthew chapter 13. He says the kingdom of God is like a dragnet, which is a net that you put alongside of a boat, and while you're sailing, it would drag and catch all the fish that swim into it. Here's what Jesus says about the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 13, he says, again, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. Now, some of us act like Jesus stopped the parable right there. Okay, the kingdom, of he- the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, there's two characteristics here. One, it has all kinds of fish. Okay, so that means the kingdom of God is full of all types of people from all different nations, all different languages. It is multi-ethnic. It's beautiful. And the kingdom of God will experience a sorting of it. See, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is comprised of all types of fish that get caught up in the net and then the men take it ashore and they sort out the fish. They put the good ones in containers and the bad ones are thrown away. Now some of us believe that we're not only the good fish, but we're the ones doing the sorting. Kingdom of heaven is all types of fish, but we're the ones that have the ability to sort which ones are good and which ones are bad which ones need to be thrown away, and which ones are placed in the good containers. Think things like this, you know, oh man, I don't know about that person. I don't know if that person is is saved. I don't know if they really believe believe in Christ. I don't know if they're part of the kingdom of God because I don't really see anything authentic in them. I don't really see how they care for people. We begin to sort. Oh, don't get me started on them. Don't get me started on them. I just think that they're like, appeasing culture. They're just appealing to culture. They, they've kind of gone off the path of orthodoxy. They're no longer orthodox, so they're probably being sorted as bad ones. They're dangerous fish too. We have this uncanny ability to always put ourselves on the side of good and oftentimes also to elevate ourselves above the good and be the ones actually sorting. But Jesus continues the parable, and we have to always read the entire parable. He says that, yeah, the kingdom of God is comprised of all types of fish. It's multi-ethnic. And there is a sorting between the good and the bad, but you don't do the sorting. Here's what he says. Jesus says, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. You and me don't do any sorting. We don't get to look at the fish and say, these ones are bad, throw them away. These ones are good, keep them in the container. Because it's not our kingdom. We don't have the ability to see. The angels are the one that sort at the command of God because it's his kingdom. It's not your kingdom, it's not my kingdom, it is his kingdom. And it is so vital that we see that. And it also gives us joy because it helps us to breathe easier. God, it's your kingdom. You're going to build it. I I got caught up in the net. I'm a recipient of your grace, just like everybody else. 
And I may see other people that I may need to challenge or hold accountable or gain understanding why they're saying certain things or acting a certain way. Sure, but I'm, I'm caught up in the net of, of grace just like them. It's not my job to sort God. It's my job to love it's my job to care. It's my job to be a part of the kingdom that I get to participate in along with others. You're going to do the sorting because it's your kingdom. Help me take joy with the people that are around me, with the fish that have been gathered, all kinds of fish, with all types of problems from all different places. Let me find joy in your kingdom. Instead of trying to be the architect of your kingdom as if I have any say, and if it's on me to help do the sorting for you, God, no, you're going to do that. I'm going to take joy that I got caught up in the net of your grace and I'm with a whole bunch of other fish that I can learn things to, I can listen to, I can be an encouragement to them and they can be an encouragement to me. Challenging back and forth. Brings joy. Helps you to take joy when you just remind yourself of that. Not get caught up in this infighting and this comparing and this sorting. Secondly, it says yours is the power. Yours is the power, God. Not mine. Yours. Power is not found in spiritual maturity or biblical knowledge. Power is not found in recognition or in titles or in the amount of influence you have. No, power is God's. He is the all-powerful one. We are not. We are people projecting power, but we are not powerful. You see, we are truly powerless people projecting power. And when someone is powerless, the only, or something, anything is powerless, the only way to gain power is to change the source. Think about a car battery. When a car battery is dead, it has lost all of its power, it doesn't matter how many times you turn the starter, it is not going to start. It needs a new source. But when you connect that battery to a powerful, healthy battery, it will start up right away because it's connected to a new source. And sometimes we, are, we fall into the trap of believing that we are powerful in and of ourselves, that we can somehow gain power. But we are truly just powerless people projecting power. This is what flex culture is all about. Look at my success. Look what I've been able to accomplish. Look at me. It's what social media is driven on. Look at all the things that I'm doing. Look at my upward mobility. Look at where I'm able to travel. Look at the things that I've been able to accomplish. Look at my discipline, fitness, and health routine. Whatever it may be, it's projecting power. This is what that drive for that work title is behind. If I just get that title, then people will see me as powerful. If I just gain that type of recognition, then I will be seen as a powerful person I know that I am and that I could become. This is what every fight with a spouse, a friend, a coworker is about. It is about projecting power. You don't want to feel powerless, and so you project power over the other person to put yourself on the side that is right so that you feel as if you have the right position, you have the right argument, so that you're in this place of dominance so that you can maintain power. But we are all just powerless people projecting power. It's why so many of us struggle to really trust God in his ways because when we trust God that yours is the power, we're reminded 
that we actually have no power to generate the outcome we desire for our lives. We must be totally reliant on God. And that's scary. But see, this should bring you joy. You can take joy knowing that yours, God, is the power. Because you're attaching the source of power to the all-powerful one instead of to yourself. Trying to start power over and over again. It's not going to happen. But when you change the source, now you're connected to the one who is all-powerful. And any power that is within you is because he is living and active within you. You've attached yourself to the one who is the all-powerful one. And this should give you joy, especially when you feel powerless in these different situations and relationships you find yourself in. Don't try to generate it for yourself. Say, God, yours is the power. I attach myself to you. Lastly, we pray yours is the glory. You see, it is foolish to think that we can kind of gain glory for ourselves because ours is not the kingdom or the power, so why should it be the glory? kind of honor and worship do we deserve none but god because yours is the kingdom and yours is the power certainly yours is the glory and when you think about god's glory what do you think about maybe you think about the explosion of creation from the mouth of god all that creativity all that beauty all that complexity maybe you think about the power and, and the beauty to to rearrange nature as you read about the crossing of the Red Sea and the parting of waters. Maybe you see God's glory when you read Old Testament stories of the way that God was able to do the unexpected and the miraculous in certain episodes where he saves God's people from their downfall that was before them. Maybe you see God's glory in your own life. Ways that he has done unexpectedly good things for you. The way that he has saved you and pulled you off of a path that was heading for destruction. Maybe you see God's glory in, in multiple different ways. You see, we, we see God's glory in big events and in small impressions because God's glory is omnipresent. It is everywhere. It is in so many different things. It is in the stars and the skies and the rising of the sun. It is in that reconciliation, that relationship we see God's glory all over the place, but God's glory does have a climax. There is a place where it reaches its pinnacle. See, the climatic unveiling of God's glory is seen in a dying man. Unexpected. It's not the explosion of beauty, not the dramatic rearranging of the laws of nature. It's in a dying man. On that Palm Sunday, the very people who are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us, laying down their palm fronds. The king has come. Wait, wait, can't wait to see what he's going to do. Five days later, the closing, the ending, is Jesus on a cross? Walk out and they see soldiers gambling for his clothes. All his friends have abandoned him. His enemies are looking at the life draining from his face and are mocking him and spitting on him. 
Even a criminal crucified next to him is getting a jab in before he himself dies. This is not God's stuff as we would define it. Nobody walked outside that gate of Jerusalem and saw Jesus dying like a common criminal on the cross and said, wow, there's God's glory clearly revealed. But it was. In fact, it was the pinnacle. It was the climax of God's glory revealed to us. Because underneath the surface layer of life that we see, something unexpectedly great was happening. Something unfathomable was happening. Your sin was being paid for. Death that you deserve and I deserve was being paid for. The king gave himself away so that we might not face death, that we might not experience the weight of our sin. You see, it looked like hell on earth, the cross. But what happened is that hell was conquered so that heaven could be claimed. This is the pinnacle of God's glory. Hell was conquered so that heaven could be claimed by you through faith in Christ and His death on the cross and His resurrection that we will celebrate this coming Easter Sunday. You see, the Apostle Paul saw the full weight of glory and, and experienced that and held on to that when he writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. He says, for, it's for God who said, let light shine out of the darkness. The very God who spoke into creation has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Nobody would have expected it. But that is where we see the weight of God's glory. On the cross, where He paid the penalty for your sin and mine, where He gave Himself to death so that we might not find ourselves to death. The full weight in the face of Christ. A dying man on a cross. You see, here's what Jesus did. Jesus gave away joy so that you might take joy. How do you take joy? You remember that yours, God, is the glory. That Jesus, you gave away joy so that I could take joy in you. See, church, I pray that as you pray the Lord's Prayer, and as you pray, each pray, prayer that you pray throughout the day, that you would remind yourself and remember that yours, God, is the kingdom and the power and the glory so that you might take joy in the character of God no matter what situation you find yourself in. It's unexpected, but it's how God operates and it's how we find joy and confidence when we pray. So I want to close today by praying the Lord's Prayer. And maybe for you this is a time of praying the Lord's Prayer for the first time in a long time. Maybe you're sensing the weight of the glory of Christ revealed on the cross 
and you want to pray this prayer actually as a prayer of faith. Saying, God, I've, I've been searching, I've been seeking, I've been trying to find joy in so many different ways. I want to find it in you. I want to take joy in you. I acknowledge that yours is the kingdom, not mine, not the one I'm trying to build. Yours is the power. I don't have any power. And certainly yours is the glory. Well, as you pray that prayer, the Lord's Prayer, would it be a prayer of faith to you? Faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, the King who rode in on Palm Sunday to save you and me on the cross in an unexpected way. So let's pray together, church. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.